Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today joining us on Cup of Tea with Rick G, we've got a very inspirational young lady. Um, and this person has been part of our community for quite a long time now. And we've helped her through her property journey over the last couple of years. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Fru Jean. Good morning, Fru. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Through, yeah, really good. Thank you for joining us on the show. Now, I do have to say that I'm sat here in my office and it's really early in the morning and I came here because I wanted some nice peace and quiet so I could interview you. And we've got some people here changing the windows. So I do apologize. And that goes out to the listeners as well. If you get any background noise because of the, uh, of the hammer drill that is in the office next door, I'm afraid there's nothing I can do about it. I just hope it doesn't, uh, doesn't destroy the interview. So through, um, wow, what an inspirational journey you've had over the last couple of years. So I'm going to get straight into it. I mean, you know, you have haven't always been in property so can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your journey up until deciding you wanted to invest into property and HMOs? Yes yeah, sure um well I've done a few things really but um I suppose what I was doing in the years leading up to going into property was I was um doing um postgraduate study um and uh, it wasn't going very well, to be honest. Um, I wasn't um, very well. And um, my uncle said, oh, Lee, well, I was studying at Oxford, um, which is a quite a competitive place. And um, my uncle said, uh, come and come down and uh, stay with me in the southwest, which is where I'm now based. Um, and I liked it very much. And I stayed. I got a job in a cafe <laughs> um, and sort of that that was quite helpful to re realign my values and goals and uh, when i felt a bit um bit more able to i um i decided to to go into property and what made that decision for you for why property specifically had you been talking to anybody about it i think i've always been interested in property i think i've always known it was a valuable asset class it's something my parents um had invested in and um and I do remember being when I first um, first started Oxford um, when I was um, you know doing my first degree. Um, my dad and I decided to buy a house there, and I remember he just let me as you know quite a young person go and look for a property, and um, I he then came and looked at it after I'd found one, and I always remember him saying, "Oh, you're good at this." So I think that had always sort of lain in the back of my mind. Um, Okay, so let's talk about your Oxford stuff then. So what, what, you, what were you studying at Oxford? I um, was studying history. Um, I'd done an undergraduate degree and then I'd taken some um, time out and, um, well, you know, I'd explored my options in the world and I'd worked as a political consultant for a while. Um, I'd also done a stint in the um, Houses of Parliament. I'd been a re research assistant for, at the time, oh. a, um, a shadow um, secretary of state. Wow, fantastic. I mean, that's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, so in terms of, you know, your, what your life looks like now, we're going to talk about your property portfolio and how you got it, you know, in a little while. But let's look at your, um, you know, your life now compared to how it was before. So how many hours a day were you putting in when you were back doing all of those other things? Well, it sort of depends at what stage, really. I mean, when I was working as a consultant, I was working pretty hard. Um, and I think then in academia, I should have been working harder than I was. And I think that's because I wasn't 
so well. So I think really the thing that's changed for me fundamentally is my mindset. And that's, that's been such a key element in my journey. Um, I mean, now I work as hard as I need to. And I really like having that control. And I feel um, perhaps in academia, um, when I was working on my, 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 my thesis, you, you get a bit, you can get quite lost. And they're similar in that they're both um, disciplines. You have to be a self-starter in property. You, you, you are the one who motivates yourself. And that's the same when you're writing a thesis. But the difference, I think, is that the results are much more tangible. And I think there's a lot more interaction with other people. So in terms of how my life has changed, I'm communicating with others much more. And I think I'm inherently a people person. So I'm much happier um, as a result. And I think it's much easier to remain in a mindset that allows you to be productive. And I've really, really moved into that mindset of being very positive and of seeing um failures is a good thing and yeah sort of you know the ch ch the challenge is part of the challenge is the fun part in, in, you know I think that leads us on quite nicely really into you know the self-motivation side of things so um and you mentioned that property is um you know you've got to be a self-starter you've got to motivate yourself etc and i think you know property can be very lonely and certainly when you're just doing it on your own you've not got a team of people around you and most people wouldn't most people are out there starting this themselves getting inspired by listening to podcasts like this and inspirational stories how do you do that through how do you so go back right to the beginning you've not got any properties at the moment let's say um how do you personally motivate yourself because it's very easy to say this is too hard I'm just going to stop and go back to what I was doing before I mean I think I started in quite I, I think I was quite gung-ho to begin with I mean I basically was like I want to do this I listened to I listened to podcasts and I love podcasts podcasts how I found you um and I decided to buy a property and I and I just went I went and bought one and I think perhaps it's it's funny because in some you get a lot of people who who are who don't do that and do the opposite and then you got me and I just went and bought a property and then after I bought the property I thought oh dear <laughs> what am I doing I had been listening to podcasts I'm really lucky um my brother who sadly has now moved to San Francisco so he's around less but he and I would would talk as well so I had a bit of support from him but I found um it hugely helpful having um sort of found a community through podcasts having bought the property um and it was quite funny really because the property i bought um the first one i bought was um it was a complete wreck and it actually it was a brothel so yeah the first thing <laughs> i did was go out and buy a brothel <laughs> That, that's actually quite common. We know we get a lot of people in our community and, and on our programs that actually buy brothels. And, and I think it's more common than you'd think. Uh, so talk to us about that then. So, um, you know, we sort of got off on a little tangent there, but talk to us about this brothel. You know, how did you find it? And, and what, you know, how do you know it was a brothel to begin with? Well, I didn't know it was a brothel until after I bought it and the old lady next door came and told me. Um, and and she um, didn't work there by any chance, did she? Oh. <laughs> Bless her. she was so delighted that I bought the property and actually um you know not long after um I still started the works I got a letter from from the police saying that I owed some money to them because they'd had that many call outs and I mean it was a very simple situation where I just um contacted them and said no all of these call outs happened 
before I owned the property and that was fine and, and thankfully <laughs> of course yeah no actually I can I can tell you now no one the police have never been called to the property since and I've owned it for a while now so I'm delighted to it's say it's really common you know I say it's um, lots of people tend to get a hold of these brothels I don't I didn't realize there was that many brothels out there and I'm an ex-police <laughs> I think I've, I've seen more of them since I've been in property than I was when I was a policeman. So we've got the um, the point where you're saying that you uh, you found um, you found us and you joined. About, so for, for trying to sort of keep it sequential. So um, you decided that you started to listen to some podcasts uh, and you found our community through the podcasts, and then and then you came along, didn't you, to, to some of our groups and some of our um, our training sessions, and then. What happened from there, Fro? How how was the transition from that point into your first HMO property? Oh, why why HMO specifically for you? Well, for me, I was interested in cash flow. Um, I, my goal then, and and still is, although I feel like I can expand on these things, my was to um, renovate the property I live in, and in order for me to do that, um, I needed to have um, an income level. Um, so I was looking for cash flow in order to create the, that income level. Um, so that's really why I chose um, HMO, um, and frankly. Finding the community was like night and day, really. Um, I just, I got to a point where I was doing the renovation and I realised I, I hadn't got a clue on how to find tenants, manage tenants, any of that side of it. And I'd heard you talking about your systems day on, uh, on a podcast um, and that really sparked my interest. So as you say, I came and, and that's when I first met you. Um, and and from there, I um, I got involved in uh, your um, online mentoring, and then actually now I, I I come to Mastermind once a month, which I find incredibly helpful because it is lonely property, um, mm. and it sort of keeps me focused, keeps um, a structure to what I'm doing, and. Um, and yeah, do you think through you'd be in the same position now? Um, we'll talk about your portfolio in a second. Mm. Um, if you hadn't have been a part of that masterminding group, do you think it would have been a lot different for you? Absolutely, because I think I would have had no concept of um, the possibilities um, um, about momentum investing. I think I wouldn't um, have had the confidence and... Yeah, I think I think it's when you see other people doing it, when you can discuss those issues um, that that inevitably yeah. arise, um, it, 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 you can see there's a trajectory. But also, um, you know, you're not on your own, mm. and no problem is insurmountable. That's a big thing, isn't it, about being on your own? Because I do know, and and everybody can relate to this, you know, and all the listeners now listening to this, if you're starting your journey or when you did start your journey, um, for me, it, you know, the picture, the scene, I was in my dining room. I had my little tray that I'd bought from Staples with nothing in it because, of course, I didn't have any properties or anything. I had a calculator. I had a little computer that I bought on my phone. And I was so lonely because I was phoning agents and I was calling vendors and, and it was just whoa you know this is because I'm used to being surrounded by a team of people in the place and all of a sudden I'm cast out I'm on my own and I'm trying to forge this business from nothing from zero from no cash flow and that is a real mindset change isn't it through and I think by surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals and going through those challenges and those mindset issues with everybody else is a massive release uh, and you, then you become 
you understand that actually, you know, everybody kind of feels like this. It's not just me. So, so thank I you for sharing really that. Interesting, you put it like that because my journey is kind of like the converse of that, really. But. But ultimately, you know, I meet in exactly the same place, whereas I've come from a place where I've got nobody around me when I was doing my, my thesis. Mm. Um, and then suddenly I've discovered that having loads of people around me sort of was, was what would make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, lots of people coming from different backgrounds, but um, either way, it's property is a lonely journey unless you surround yourself, you know, with those like minded individuals. So let's talk about your portfolio then through. So how long have you been investing in HMOs now um, altogether? I think it's three years now. Okay, so we're three years in. Yeah. Um, what does your portfolio look like at the moment? So I'm just finishing my fifth HMO, um, big refurb on my big uh, fifth HMO. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. So five HMOs in three years and, you know, and you know, this isn't a race, is it? And it's very important that people, when they invest in property, we set the foundations properly and we make sure that we future proof our business because what we're doing here is building an estate that will pay us for the rest of our life. So let's talk about your first HMO. So how did you get it? What do the numbers look like? So that was the brothel. Um, and I just was going through right move actually on that one. Um, and it was one that I'd seen out of the corner of my eye for ages. I liked it because it had parking. Uh, and I know you and I disagree on parking, but <laughs> I saw it and I thought, gosh, that's, uh, that's perfect. Because it was a bed and breakfast in inverted commas. A bed and breakfast. I love that. A bed and breakfast slash brothel. Yes. Um, and um, it had a sold size. It said it had been sold. So I'd, I'd, I'd seen it, but I hadn't gone in. Um, and I, I was sort of on the hunt. Um, and then um, it came back on the market and I, I looked around it and it was absolutely horrible. Um, and uh, I thought, perfect, because <laughs> I was a novice. Mm. And I will actually know. I mean, I think, you know, probably. Oh, that's that. great. I mean, buying those type of properties that are really run down are the ones that we kind of really look for yes and it was by far the worst property on the street i mean i i joke but i genuinely think i've added quite a lot of value to every single house on the street by buying that yeah, house i bet i bet they love you in that road um the old lady next door i mentioned did give me a big hug oh, bless her. <laughs> so what did the numbers look like through um you know so what did you buy it for how much did it cost to refurbish and what problems if any did you have along the way oh i had lots of problems rick um it was uh 150 to buy so it was it was not not too uh it, it was definitely on the cheaper end for my area um and i refurb costs were quite a, a lot more than i had anticipated i have to say there were there were there were um joists that needed to be um reinforced um an entire uh floor needed you know floor joists needed to be replaced ceilings needed to be replaced so i mean it was about fifty thousand in the end and what would your budget for <laughs> so naive i budgeted 20 okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know you know i mean it's your first one and you've got to cut your teeth somewhere i mean uh, the massive learnings from that project for you oh my goodness yes and it's since been valued at uh 235 so oh that's I, fantastic so you bought I, it for 150 you spent 50 on it mm-hmm. and now it's been valued for 235 yeah and i get an i'm my take home from that my profit from that property every month is in excess of a thousand pounds so i'm completely happy with that perfect and have you refinanced it through or are you just keeping your money in the property 
that one I'm keeping in for now, um, but I'm probably going to look to refinance that um, later on um, when I, if and when I need it. Okay, excellent. So how many bedrooms did you convert that one to? I'm afraid that one's just a four bed. Again, probably wouldn't bother um, doing it that way. So, in, you know, I, I, I personally, I no longer would consider a four bed. Mm. But, um, What's the reason for that, through? I think, as I said, I've, I've left quite a lot of equity in that. So um, I think it's fine. It cash flows beautifully in that regard. But I think if you're going to try and take as much money out as possible, then you really need to be a five bed or over. Mm, okay that's my point sir we kind of do the same because we know that we make more money and we can do five beds and do you have um article four planning direction in your area no we don't actually although i am looking in a couple of places nearby that do but okay. um, not, so not you have no restrictions and you could just go in under permitted development and, and get on and do the um the refurb without any problems yeah i mean i did have to apply for change of use because it was as i said an inverted commas bed and breakfast so um, what planning class was it was it c1 then before yeah yeah i would have been and um but that was that was just i mean now i know a little bit more that that might have been a problem mm, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a problem at all but i suppose i mean if you were in a seaside town or somewhere perhaps where the bed and breakfasts were a bit more sacrosanct that might be an issue so but it certainly wasn't in this in this instance so how long did the refurbishment take for you um it took it took six months and that is because i didn't know what i was doing so it took okay. a long and, so and, and how did you find your building team through where did they where did they appear from so um it again that was again <laughs> really was this is this is why you need to know a little bit more than i knew um so i had a friend who was a builder but then he sort of let me down um but i had another friend who's an electrician where i live and he knew an electrician in my uh investment area and uh, he is still my uh, he introduced me to this chap who is still my electrician fantastic and then he introduced me to um, all of my um, cut, all of my team that I now work with. And I said, "I'm still with you, your original team." Hmm? Are they still with you, your original team? Um, yeah, almost all of them. Yes, yes. And I'm really fortunate in my team. And actually, that's been really key to to me feeling confident going forward as well. Was was um, finding a team of um, people who understood what I was trying to achieve, understood what was important to me. Um, and yeah, we, they all know that I'm very focused on um, creating a quality product, but also a product that's going to last a long time. So we do a lot of future proofing. I will spend more. I will front load the spending to ensure that I've got really good electrics, really good plumbing, make sure it, it, everything's going to last. And that's really important, isn't it? You know, and you know, future proofing in terms for maintenance is one thing, but future proofing in terms of decoration. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that because have you seen all of the, you know, the really great looking properties now that people are turning out, you know, the co-living properties and the really high-end HMOs? Have you seen those photographs that are knocking around on Facebook? Absolutely, yeah. So they look awesome and I'm, you know, I, they just look amazing, but I do have concerns that maybe in five or 10 years time, if that fashion sort of dies off and it goes out of fashion, it's going to be quite expensive to really, um, you know, put that right and turn it into what is current at that time. What do you think about that through? I mean, what do you think about the decor and what standards do you work to? 
I mean, I try to um, work to um, a high standard. My investment area probably doesn't require, um, I mean, it's not London, it's not Manchester. Um, so, you know, um, what I consider high end might not be quite what someone who perhaps is doing, um, you know, Southwest London would consider high end. Um, but um, with regards to, I mean, I think as, I think you can create a really good look and not not worry too much about what it will look like in five years as long as you're careful I think I think one of my concerns is being too committed to a style mm. um and and I think that, that that would worry me I mean I I do like I do like a lot of the things I see they look great on Instagram etc and I really do but I, I I do share your concerns a little bit and I I don't go there for that reason mm. so I perhaps um but I think they look great you know I'm, I'm, they're, they're awesome and I I suspect that those properties you know will be very full very quickly and the void levels will be mm. low but when we do talk about future proofing you know fashions and styles do change and they change really quickly yeah they do and I think what I try and do is just um make sure that everything Thing can be changed quickly I'd rather have a really well plastered wall that's beautiful and flat and mm. not bumpy that I can just paint in a different color than yeah. perhaps something a bit more um, involved <laughs> do you do all the um, the design work yourself through yes I do okay and where do you get your inspiration from oh I think probably just like everyone else I like looking at Instagram and Pinterest um, things like that mm, yeah i mean it's um i don't do any of our interior work um in terms of the design as you know lorraine does that um herself but we again you know we're not really really high end but we do do feature walls and we do do nice wallpaper feature walls etc because i think moving forwards that's easy stuff that we can just paint over or exactly. you know put a new a new piece of wallpaper on and then we're into the current trend in that time so in 10 years time hopefully it won't take too much to be able to um, redecorate the property you know and we've got problems with some of our portfolio through because we've got probably i don't know maybe 11 houses that have got wood chip and whoever thought of wood chip at the time didn't think about future proofing because to take that wood chip off my god we're gonna to have to replaster all of the all of the walls and all of the houses again so that's not really future proofing but i'm hoping and i'm crossing my fingers that wood chip's going to come back round into fashion in about five years time so watch this space i'm What's not it? completely convinced by that <laughs> do you think it's gone forever I hope so. Oh, and a glipter or something like that as well that came in not long after Woodship. I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up with Woodship. You know, it was all the rage and it was a great way of plastering, well, not plastering, but wallpapering over walls that, you know, were all wobbly and what have you. So it kind of worked at the time. And then Magnolia paint came in and everybody loved Magnolia paint. And now it's like, oh God, it's Magnolia. That's awful. So it's really, you know, things change really quickly. Let's talk about en suites. Um, yeah. through so you know there's lots of discussion about en suites we did talk about this on you know on a lot of our podcasts because i like to get everybody's point of view so what's your what's your theory on en suites do they work is it worth the risk i absolutely think it's worth the risk i've got um i'm currently working on um, a six bed all en suite and i have one room left and i've still i mean we're still a couple of weeks away from finishing um you know those rooms just flew i flew off the shelf and um, I think that's because they've got en suites in there yes i really charge do premium and for that absolutely i can charge so much more for an ensuite room and that's what people are looking for and it's how much more for what sort of figures you're looking at um 
I can charge, I would say, a really big room without an ensuite in my area. I think you could probably charge between 480 to 500 for a really big room. For a really big room with an ensuite, you could charge 100, 150 pounds more. Wow, that's a lot. That's really It makes good. a really big difference. I, it depends where the property is, obviously. But I mean, I, I definitely think having an ensuite makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And it's what people, the, the, the tenant class that I'm looking at, that's what they want. What's your thoughts on all of the single banding um, that potentially might be coming around and going sort of all over the country? Because I know certain areas at the moment, if there's an ensuite in the room, they're charging single banding council tax. Is that happening where you are? Not, no, I, it's, it, there's no mention of it yet, but obviously things can change, you know, things turn on a dime. So I'm, I don't, I don't um, discount the possibility. And so I have started to put a clause into my tenancy agreements regarding that, just saying if that did happen. Um, what does that say for you? What does the clause stipulate? Um, I haven't got exact wording in front of me, but it, it basically just says if, if there is a change in the way that council tax is banded, then, then the responsibility for council tax would fall to the tenant. Mm-hmm. And do you think and that would put them off then from renting your rooms? It hasn't so far. Um, but I think, you know, it's not unreasonable for me to say that that's not likely in the next couple of years, because I really don't think it is likely in the next couple of years. Having said that, though, it could happen. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, it will happen to every other ensuite room in in the town so everyone's going to be having to cope with that i mean personally i mean what i think about it i mean i think it's a dreadful idea i, I it, it's it's irritating because hmos are such a necessary um a necessary um housing um uh, they're, they're, yeah absolutely it's a requirement for for growing towns and cities and i i was talking to um a housing officer in a place that does have um article four the other day and and they're putting their hair out that they've got article four because they desperately need this type of housing Mm, yeah i mean that leads us on lovely to my next question and that's you know sometimes very often private landlords get a really hard time and a lot of bad press and people thinking that we're fat cat landlords gobbling up the housing stock and and lots of other different things i mean what what are your thoughts on how would you respond to that kind of attitude for well i mean i think every these you know the housing crisis is really complex um and um i think there's an element that you could argue when um landlords are buying um stock that you know in competition with first-time buyers perhaps you could make that argument but i feel like um there are a lot that we're um providing opportunities rather than taking stock away because if we're taking i mean i I think i think it's a it's a bit of a bit of both um but i mean certainly what i do i'm not buying first-time buyer houses so i don't see myself as doing that at all in fact i think what i'm providing um and i'm not saying that landlords who buy um first-time buyer um buyer type housing stock are are doing the wrong thing at all that's not what i'm suggesting i'm just saying if you're looking holistically at the whole picture one could i can see why one might make that argument but it's it's clearly not the only reason why there's a housing crisis in fact i don't think it's even a big reason um you know there's all sorts of other, other elements that we could go into like yeah. um, mortgage rates etc but with regards to what i do no i mean i buy houses that first time buyers wouldn't be looking at and um, I'm providing um, housing for people who are transitory. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, to um, you know, consider how people's lives are changing. And it's, it's not just um, housing that's dictating this. This is how we work. 
how we own things, how we feel about the things we own. Millennials are arguably being forced to, but maybe it's a mindset thing. You know, we, we, we don't want to own as much stuff as we used to. Um, we need, and so, you know, we need less space. I know that sounds like an easy excuse um, to say, oh, well, people want less space because that's what they're being provided with. But but it, it is the case, We're, you know, th this island has got more and more people on it. And, uh, you know, we are running out of space. So we have to change the way we consume. And um, I think housing is one of those ways. And I think co-living or HMOs provides a really excellent way for somebody who's perhaps, they're not settled yet, they haven't got a family yet, um, to, you know, save as much money as possible to, to do whatever they want to do next. Um, and live in a really efficient way. Mm. You know, when I was, um, I can't remember exactly how old I was. I was probably about 17, 18. Um, I left home quite early and I, I went and I lived in a HMO and I didn't know it was a HMO at the time. It was a house attached to a hotel that I was working at. And um, you know, in hindsight, it was a HMO. But I loved it because I was there with all of the other people that had similar interests with me. All of the other staff were living in the, in the property as well. And for me, it provided a great opportunity that was affordable, that I could leave home. I got all of my meals cooked as well there, which is quite a big bonus. And I think what we're doing here, and certainly from, from my perspective, is with, you know, we're taking properties and we're turning them into lots of opportunities for people that potentially couldn't get those opportunities opportunities from from other places and can't afford to get on the housing ladder themselves and you mentioned through about you know transient lifestyles well i you know lots of people don't want to be stuck to one place anymore they like to move around they like to be able to to choose to have that flexibility of where and when they can live um, and, and when they you know they can move to different places as their life dictates so i think you know absolutely we're creating loads of opportunities um, with what we're doing here and i think sometimes you know um, landlords do get a pretty much of a, a bad rap certainly from the press Okay, Fru, so um, we're going to fast forward now. So you've got five properties. We spoke about the brothel, and thankfully it's no longer a brothel anymore, so that's pretty good news, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then you've done um, another three in between, and then you're currently working on your fifth project. So can you tell us how you found the project, um, what sort of conversion costs were involved, what it's going to look like at the end, and what sort of profits you're going to be making? Yep. So um, this one I found through um, an agent. Um, I have really good working relationship with a couple of agents in my area. Um, they know exactly what I'm trying to achieve. Um, they've seen what um, the standard I work to. So they know how involved the projects are that because I um, tend to do quite a, um, a lot of work. Mm. Um, and yeah, they brought this one to my attention. Um, and what sort of prices are you paying through agents for? Is it possible to get you know discounts where you are, and is it possible to get discounts through agents? Um, I think this one, not particularly this particular house. I think I paid as little as I could, but with st but still, I wouldn't call it a discount. Mm. Um, but I think the renovation will make it worth it. But they have bought me things um, before they've put things on the market before. So the one before this, for example, um, they showed to me, it was actually, it was um, 
functioning as an HMO, I walked around it and said, this is illegal <laughs> mm-hmm. and was immediately able to, to knock um, um, quite a, a nice chunk off the price, which was quite helpful. <laughs> um, how do you establish those relationships with agents? And certainly at the beginning, you know, for some of the listeners, they might think, well, you know, I've got no property. I want to get into it. How do I make myself credible when I'm talking to an agent? I think you've just got to know your staff. You know, you've got to say things like this room is too small and the reason why it's too small and obviously say it in a nice way. I mean, never ever be condescending or oh, for goodness sake, you should know this kind of kind of um, type attitude. I mean, you know, agents are, um, you know, immediately um, going to be suspicious of anyone who claims to be an investor because they get that every day so I think it's important to know your stuff um and it helps to just and to follow through on what you say you're going to do um it's always helpful if you already have something but if you're starting out I think it's just be honest but but be very very clear about what you want yeah very much so be open and honest so talk about the numbers then free so what sort of cash flow is this property going to give you so this one, um, I, as I said, the rooms have been flying off the shelf because they're all en suite, um, which I do think is massively important in my area. Um, and this one should grow. So as I said, I don't want to um, talk about exactly the profit just yet because obviously until it starts running, it's some t- you know it's not completely clear. Um, but I think, um, but it will definitely gross over thirty eight thousand a year. Wow. And that's amazing just from one property. And and I don't mind sharing that, you know, that's just shy of what I was earning as a full-time police officer, you know, putting myself at risk on a daily basis. That's an awesome amount of profit. Yes, it is good. That's fantastic. So, I mean, what what does it look like for you in the future? Are you going to continue to invest? You know, how much is enough for you? That's a really good question. I'm, I'm, I've, I think I will continue to invest. In fact, yesterday I just started chatting to someone about a purchase lease option. So um, I, I clearly am um, keen to carry on at the moment. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you can, if you're in a position to, then why stop? Fru, I'm going to ask you a, um, a really on the point questions. And so going back from when you started, you bought your brothel, you've now got five HMOs. Can I ask you what your monthly income level looks like now compared to what it was like before? Well, it depends at what stage of my life you're asking me. My monthly income level when I was working in the cafe was, um, you know, what somebody earns on, you know, earning £8.50 an hour. So it's obviously far in excess of that. But it's probably about um, on par with what I was earning um, as a consultant. So it's, right. it's pretty, pretty good, actually. And that's without me touching, you know, I keep a lot in, to, in my limited company. So I mean, are you prepared to share those figures with us through? Is it something you want to keep to yourself? If it's all right, I'll just keep it to myself. Okay, no problem. I'm, I'm living a life where I'm, I would say, um, I would say I was financially free. Yes. Fantastic. So you've, you've gone in three years to become financially free by yeah. investing in HMO property. Yes. That's awesome. So well done for that. What do you think about networking through? How do you, how important do you think networking is for everybody else? And what role has networking played in your journey over the last three years? I think it's completely transformed my journey. I, as I said, when I bought that brothel, I really didn't know what I was doing. And it wasn't really until I found a community that I really had the confidence to do it properly. And now the difference between how I stack a deal and, and how I, um, you know, proceed with every element of, of, of pro- the property journey. And, and property has a lot of elements. It's complicated. It's not 
it, it looks straightforward from outside, but there's more to it always. And, uh, you know, so I, I always have the ability to ask somebody. Um, and I really like the property community that I found because, um, you know, they're very forgiving of questions. Um, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. And, and that's an understood fact in the property community. So it's fine to ask. And I think it's fair to say that networking for you was that important. And you found such value in it. You actually started your own networking group in the area where you invest. Yes, I did. I did. Um, I, it all started, I went to a, um, uh, a, a meeting that was set up by the council um, for private landlords. And because of the um, HMO changes, um, there was a, particularly in an HMO um, uh, a seminar and in the seminar I stood up at the end and just said well would anyone like to, to network with me so basically just asked for friends basically and I, I met a, a really lovely chap called Tony um, and and from there we started um, uh, you know um, setting up a networking meeting and then Sue Sims of um, Partners in Property um, which was a really successful meeting in the Solihull area she asked me if I would like to uh, make my meeting uh, Partners in Property Southwest which I have um, which I agreed to do and Tony and I now run Partners in Property Southwest. And it's an awesome meeting because I had the pleasure of coming to talk at the meeting last month for you and I think there were probably what well, in excess of about 40 people maybe a few more in the room and that is a really good success rate considering you know you're starting this meeting from scratch. So how can people um, join this meeting through? Uh, what's it called? Where does it get held? So it's um, Partners in Property Southwest and it is on the fourth Thursday of every month. Our next one is on the 25th of April. It's at uh, the Canal side in Bridgewater. And our guest speaker will be um, Evan Main Donald, who's a developer, um, and he's going to be talking a lot about crowdfunding. So I think it's going to be very, very exciting. And it's awesome. And I think it's fair to say that it's not just property networking, is it? Because you have a little bit of a, a USP as well, don't you? Yeah, we also have masterminding tables, which are fantastic because we have um, really great experts coming to to the event. And so after lunch, we do provide lunch, which is also a nice thing to do. Um, uh, we, we have tables uh, which are dedicated to different areas. So, for example, we'll have Mark Barrett from Property Tax Advice on our tax table, which is fantastic. And um, um, there's always a finance table. In fact, a really good example about how networking can really help. Um, we had one chap, I was sat on the finance table last month, and we had one chap um, whose angel financing had fallen through, and he sat at the table and discussed it with um, the finance expert, but also with other people who you know all had ideas and 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 through that session was able to see that there was actually um a very um good solution to his problem for finance i know he's now gone off and sorted that out awesome i mean it's really powerful isn't it and i think you know we built the back of our business on the back of networking so thank you through so for anyone that's listening if you want to get over to through's networking event through how can people contact you or how can they book their tickets for the partners in property event so the Partners in Property event, you can find tickets on Eventbrite. So um, if you're, it's, as I said, Partners in Property Southwest. Um, if you're wanting to contact me, I'm on Instagram. If you want to see um, what I'm up to right now, I'm, as I said, I'm just finishing off a project. So there should be some really nice pictures going up of um, my latest um, six bed. Um, 
and that's um, on my underscore urban underscore haven. That's the name of my company is Urban Haven. So my underscore urban underscore haven on Instagram. And you can also find me on Facebook. Awesome. Through. This isn't necessarily property related, but I like to ask people about sort of the inspirations that they've had in their life and in their journeys so far. So who would you say the most inspirational person in your life has been and why? Um, I think I'm going to be a complete cliche here and say my parents. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 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 yeah. And why wouldn't you? So, I mean, I'm going to kind of leads me on to say why, but I suppose that's kind of, you know, uh, obvious why they would be inspirational to you. What do you think you've, uh, you've learned in business from your parents through? Well, I think um, my dad in particular was, um, unfortunately, he passed away when I was um, uh, 22. I think so that was that was quite tough but he he was um, an, a very very successful um, uh, lawyer and um, but I think he perhaps didn't want to be a lawyer he was much more interested in business and um, you know grew a very successful business was very dynamic and I think I spent a lot of time wondering how on earth he got so much done in a day and I think since it's so interesting as I keep talking about mindset um, how through changing my own mindset, I now see how he did that because it's just about being focused and structured in what you're doing and, and, and then you can achieve all these things. Absolutely. And, you know, we do look up to our parents, don't we? And if we can sort of take a little bit from them that helps us move forward in our in our business life, then yeah, absolutely. I do sometimes think that, um, you know, when you work hard and you do put a lot of hours in, you know, it is to the sacrifice of, of your family. And I suppose it is getting that, that happy balance and, yes. and getting that leverage. Through what sort of books do you read and what, do you, what would you recommend to our listeners, you know, the best sort of mindset or business book that you've read? I think it's probably I've um, really enjoyed reading Ego is the Enemy, okay. uh, which is Ryan Holiday. Um, it's sort of off the back of this sort of uh, Silicon Valley love of this uh, stoic philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed that. Um, and it's very much about, um, yeah, sort of not, not, not worrying too much about sort of how you feel about a scenario is so much you know it, it, it you know anything challenge challenges are, are are part of the process and um and not to take things personally and i think that's that's been really really helpful for me do you read a lot of mindset books through i think i'd like to read more um uh but um yeah, I think Ego is the Enemy is my favourite so so far. Ego um, is the Enemy, awesome. So I'm going to put that on my list. I haven't read that one, actually. There's not many books, I, you know, sort of that um, mindset type of books that I haven't read or heard of. So um, who's the author? Um, Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday. Okay, it's on my list. And then my last question to you, through is cat or dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love all animals, but um, I, I am a dog owner. And uh, I have to say... For me, I, I, I think um, one of the joys of property is that I get to take my um, dog for a walk whenever I want. What dog do you have? <laughs> I have a smooth fox terrier. 
beautiful i love dogs i love cats as well but yeah i'm a dog person too so that's it uh Fru is in the in the dog camp for everybody i do ask that question to all of our <laughs> guests because i like to know um whether they like cats or dogs simply as that just a little bit of fun Fru, it's been absolutely awesome interviewing you and i know that um our listeners are going to get so much from this so they can contact you on facebook they can contact you on instagram and of course if they want to come to your networking event which is in bridgewater at the canal side it's called partners in property through thank you so much um, a real inspiration and i'm you know really pleased to have been a part of your journey throughout all of this and hopefully your success will just be long continued thank you so much rick thank you awesome through thank you very much have a great day take care so folks thank you for listening to today's show um if you join us again for next week's cup of tea with rick g we've got some really inspirational guests lined up for the show and we're going to be talking a lot more about the the high-end boutique type uh, co-living properties as well coming up so if you would be uh, so kind to give us a review it would really help us really motivate us moving forwards with producing cup of tea with rick g um we don't have any sponsors uh, we don't get paid for the show and it's just literally about us helping others um, position themselves and, of course, helping others with inspirational stories from like-minded individuals. So if you could hit that review button, leave us a great review, and it would really help us move forwards. And I'll see you on the next Cup of Tea with Rick.